Welcome to True House Stories. I am Lenny Fontana coming out of Nueva York, New York City. <laughs> the only place where you could have danced day and night at one time and danced the night away or danced for a few days straight and get food whenever you want, whenever you want. But we're going to go a little back in time to someone that is what I call an architect or an engineer to our scene. And it goes back to pre-disco because he's going to tell you himself. It goes back to pre-disco, post-disco, disco death, R&B music, guys responsible, mixing so many great records, sang on a record, DJ to some of the best clubs, traveled the world, the whole deal. Let me introduce him. Let me bring him up. The one and only Hippie Torales. God bless this man, and we got him. We've been waiting to get him on, and he's here for you now. And I wanted to say, you know, thank you, Hippie. Welcome to True House Stories. Well, thank you for having me. I hope you're well. Um, before we even ask the first question, I'm going to ask you to tell everybody, how's life been for you with this complete change of COVID? You know, since we went into lockdown and we're coming back out, and you could give people a, you know, bird's eye view of how things are going. Yeah, well, I'm living in Columbia, South Carolina now. Um, I actually lucked out because um, when when COVID hit um, my job, um, I, I work at uh, our library here at North Main, Richland Library here in Columbia, and we were lucky. Our, our library kept us uh, on salary even though everything was closed down yeah, from lucky. March till about September of last year. So we worked from home. We were looking in that way, but I went through the process. I caught COVID. You know, my girlfriend caught COVID. My mother, uh, my son, everybody in our family caught COVID. Um, my girlfriend still has long-term COVID. She still has it. She's still at home from September of last year till now. She still it's hard for her. She still has to breathe with oxygen and everything. So she's you know making it. We're trying to make it slowly but surely, but she's still on it. Everybody else, lucky my mother ended up in the hospital and everything, and everybody ended up, you know, coming out okay. Um, but we went through it. We definitely went through people, it. People, we're in a better place. Um, hippie people saying, can hippie move closer to the microphone? I know you're on the laptop. Sure. Yeah, and just maybe just project a little bit more because it's saying they can't hear you. Okay. Can you hear me now? Maybe that's better. I'll, yeah. I'll even speak up. Yeah, that's it. That's fine. No, I'm sorry to interrupt you because people want to hear you. They're asking, saying, can he please move closer? Thank you, everybody, for letting us know. First of all, I love the hat. As we know, Hippie is always a sweat. He's a suave dresser. And Waffle, as we all know, is a handsome guy. As you can see, I grew my beard during uh, COVID. He even, he, even, he even went lumberjack. went real cool. He looks like he looks Cubano, but he's not Cubano. <laughs> okay. So hippie, thank God. Uh, just my question is: When you said long-term COVID, what is she dealing with with that? When you say long-term, right? Well, she can't ex exert herself because she's on oxygen. She'll need oxygen. If she, like she's doing something for like five, ten minutes. If she exerts herself, she runs out of air. So then she has to put on the oxygen to breathe. So that's long-term COVID, and she's still, you know, her body aches. And it's hard for her to do things. So, you know, it's it's a real thing. It really affects your whole, and it, you know, it affects you every way. I mean, physically, mentally, it drains her. You know what I mean? So we're slowly but surely getting through it. 
but it's a process. It's certainly not, you know, an easy step. Okay. Well, we wish you the best, of course. Thank you. Um, We'll get into some of the questions later of how you ended up down there. Let's get on that timeline. All right, everyone, here we go. Lenny Fontana doesn't play around. We start with the first question, and we're going to have him paint the picture. The only way we can is let him do this. So how does music find the young hippie, the kid? You know, before he went out dancing and everything, that young kid, young, young, very young, you know? Yep, I know, I know. Well, music, I, I wasn't really into music till I would say I was probably nine years old. And my dad said, you know what? I'm going to have you and your sisters each pick out one song to buy. He took us to two guys in Jersey City. All right. He said, you each get one song to pick. So I was nine. I didn't really listen to radio, but I let them play some music. And I said, okay, I want that one, which was Marvin Gaye's Heard Through the Grapevine. That was my first song that I bought, ever. My sister, Lisi, which was a year behind me, gets the song Dizzy. I don't know if you know the song Dizzy. Dizzy, my head is spinning. It was a hit from that time. She picked that song. And then my sister after her, which was two years younger than her, picked Sugar, Sugar by the Archies. Okay. They were huge. Right. <laughs> that was my intro to music. From that point on, I started getting interested in music. But my, as you can see, my taste was towards the R&B. Like, I didn't pick a rock song. I didn't pick anything else. It was straight right. R&B. That was my first taste of music. And from there, um, I started, you know, listening to music, not on radio, because I wasn't a real radio person, but we used to have what to call back then sets. So what I said was, was a house party. You know what I mean, basically. And even though we were young, 19 years old, our kids would have house parties, basically, and invite everybody on the weekend to come over. And I got exposed to, you know, James Brown and, you know, the, all the classic uh, uh, ballads, Body and Soul, Natural High, all that kind of stuff. That was what I was introduced. At that point in school, they put me on in charge of the auditorium. So in our auditorium, I was in charge of the phonograph, which was the turntable in the photo in the auditorium. I was in charge of the projector. So if we ever had movies, I was in charge of the stage, okay? The lighting on the stage, the mic setup on the stage. So that introduced me to the technical side of doing that kind of stuff, basically, pretty much all the technical stuff. Um, and then at around that age, a friend of ours, um, we had a, uh, uh, he had a basement and we, we made a club there. It was called our, our Place, basically the club. And then we would go there and hang out. Every weekend we would hang out. And they put me in charge of buying music. So I ended up running the, the turntable in our club and buying the music. You know, I would get like $5 a week and go buy, you know, James Brown, or whatever else I wanted to buy. And that's what we would play in our little, in our little thing. I did that for a while. That's what we did. And then graduation time came around. I was graduating from the eighth grade. So once we graduated... We had a club in Jersey, Jersey City called El Centro. And El Centro was the club. It was like the club, downtown Jersey City. That only club that really was a club club. They were, you know, they played club music and everything. Official club. Like official yeah, exactly, club. A real club. And it was an after hour. So it wasn't like they sold liquor. It was more like we, they, they were open to 5, 4, 5 in the morning, you know. But they let everybody in. And what they would do is graduation day, like most clubs do now, they would let in the younger people 
to enjoy graduation day. So that the first time I ever went to the club was to Central. I went there and I never heard completely mixed music because radio didn't play mixed songs back then. You know, they just played a song and then, you know, they would do a commercial, play another song. It wasn't mixing like we know it. So I went to the club and all I hear is mixes. Basically, the DJ is mixing. I'm like, wow, how is he doing this? You know, I didn't even know how it was working, you know. So my friend said, listen, I know the DJ. His name was Angel. He said, I can introduce you to him. So I said, all right, take me. He took me to the DJ booth. I met Angel. He showed me, yeah, listen, this is the two turntables we have here. This is our mixer. Basically, what I do is, you know, bring this one up. Just bring this one down. Here's a cue. I didn't even know what the cue was. Yeah, why would you? Exactly. So that was my intro. So from there, we moved from Jersey City to Newark. And in Newark, they had mobile setups around that would come to our neighborhoods and play out in the streets. I didn't know that existed until then. So one of the my mobile setups that came by was uh, my uh, my partner at the time, Nelson Buccinieves, used to have his own system. So he would come out, set it up in the street, play music. Right. So me wanting to, you know, get into it, I would bother him every time I saw him. Listen, let me play some music. You know, let me play some music. It was like, get away, kid, man. You just bother me. But I just was persistent. <laughs> I was persistent and persistent. And he finally said, you know what? Okay. I'll let you play. So I play some records, you know what I mean? And luckily for me, our little gang was pretty big. Like we have my sisters and we have my friends and everything. So we had a lot of people. We had like 40, 50 people that used to hang with us in our little thing. So of course I'm playing, I'm, I'm their boy, you know, they're like, yeah, you know, they're enjoying it. So Butchie says, well, this kid's got a following. So let's, you know, maybe I'll take him on. So he took me on and then we started doing the Branch Brook roller skating ring in Newark. So this was 73. He had been doing it for a year before that, and he started the disco there. He started doing that disco uh, parties on the weekends there. So he brought me in in 73, and we would go there every weekend, and we would play the music uh, for the roller skaters. And it was a summer and winter thing because what they would do is it's ice in the winter and then roller skating in the summer in the same, in the same thing they had. So... I started building a crowd there because I would play there and people would be like, oh, it's hippie. And, you know, and, they, and it was actually an elevated uh, DJ booth. So it sort of gave you that persona, you know what I mean? Like a DJ stuff. Um, and that's how we started. We, I started there. And then from there, I started, um, we started doing a lot of mobile gigs. And we ended up going with uh, Mark IV Disco, which was another uh, disco group in Newark. Now, Mark IV Disco was pretty, you know, they were pretty popular. They had a big, big following. So they invited us to do a show with them at the Ebony Manor. They used to rent the Ebony Manor, which was actually like a, a big ballroom kind of thing. And it had, actually had three different rooms. So the first time we did it, they were in the big ballroom. We were in the second ballroom. Um, and then after that, they invited us and uh, Gentlemen of Leisure Disco, which was called Gold. That was their, you know, their... Logo Gold, and that Stan Williams was one of the DJs for them. Okay, Stan Williams, Russia now. Stan Williams, yeah, that's Stan Williams. Yeah, exactly. That guy, the real Stan Williams, we know from Russia. Yeah, exactly. Where are you, Stan? Where's Stan? <laughs> DJ with Gold, gentlemen of Gold Production, and and um, all of us got to play at the Ebony Manor together. Now I remember when Stan worked for Richard Long. That's later, but see, yeah. I, we talked about that. It's crazy. Where I had Stan, I'm yeah. going, 
It can't so, be the Sam Williams that I know. <laughs> yes, it is Sam Williams from Russia. <laughs> so then, so then from there, you know, we um um we started doing a lot of mobile jobs, and then we went to open uh, a club. And what happened was Al Murphy and Larry Patterson used to have a club called um, La Jocks, and it was like a premier like after hours club. It was like everybody would go to La Jocks. Beautiful, beautiful club. I mean, you walked in, they had a kitchen on the first floor and, and Al Murphy would make hors d'oeuvres and everything and all kinds of stuff. And he had a sofa set up. And then you go to the floor, the dance floor was after that. And upstairs, there was a balcony and the DJ booth was up in the balcony and you can sit up there and you can look down on the dance floor. I mean, it was a great club. It was a perfect club. Um, so they had left it. So we, we moved in there and did that for a while. Then after doing that, you know, um, the lease was up and it was like, okay, so maybe we should open our place. So then Butchie and I found Docs, which right. was on 776 Broad Street. And that's where I started, you know, my right residency was at Docs. Um, and that's how that's how I started music from that point up to there. You know what I mean? To my first actual club. That was it. So at that time, before we even go any further, at that time, when you say Lajox with Al Al Murphy and Larry, and Larry Patterson, may he rest in peace as well. What who whose sound systems were they at that time? Were these things that just they put together, or was it Richard Long or one of these people or Alex Rosner? Who was who was the one the architect behind that for Jersey? During those times, the early times, they would usually put them together themselves. It wasn't until it wasn't until um, um, I worked at Abe's that I actually got into a Richard Long sound system. Okay, so we'll get there. Before that, while I, before I got at AIDS, I actually played at, at uh, the Limelight in New York, um, which was uh, Alex Rosner's setup. Right. Alex Rosner's setup. And that was the original one on, on um, 9th Street and 7th Avenue. Correct. Um, which is, you know, it was a club. It, was, it had a, a sunken in floor, and then it had Tiffany lights on top. It That's was right. a really gorgeous club. Nikki told me that too. Nikki Siano said he he explained that because again I wasn't old enough to go there, but he told me you had to see they had a Tiffany glass top. Yep. And he talked about David Rodriguez playing or exactly. Michael Capello. Michael exactly. Capello playing there. Exactly. And what you know, and the, the jock there that when I met him was George. And George used to play, we used to go Tuesday nights, and George used to play. And you know, he, you know, he did one of those trickery things. You know, look, I gotta go to the bathroom because he knew I, I like like music and DJ. I got to the bathroom so if the record dies, can you change it? You know what I mean? So he went, took his time, and then I switched the song to the next song, pretty much. And, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, you can do this. He said, listen, I got another job offer. So would you want to? <laughs> yeah, I got another job. You take this job. Yeah. yeah, exactly what he told me. He said, listen, I got another job offer. It pays more. You want to do this on Tuesdays? I said, sure, why not? So he talked to the owner said, yeah, let's do it. So then New York City, here there. we come. And that it was the first actual more. sound system before before AIDS that I would work on was the Rosner sound system in New York. Thorne's turntables. Explain everybody. Thorne's yeah, turntable. Th- Thorne's turntable. They had uh, they had a Bozak at at at, at the at the, Ro- the Rosner Club at that time. Um, and the speakers, I'm not sure if you had them. I don't know if they were custom or not. I don't remember because I never really took notice of the speakers because it was sort of like sunken in and then the base because the floor was sunken. I think the base was, you know, around the floor, the sun, on the outside of the sunken floor. So you really couldn't see it. In other words, it was built in. So it was like, you have, you can stand on top of it, but you can't really see what the speakers were. 
Understand? On the bass. And then the other one hung, basically, the horns and the... And the I the, think those that remember, I've always heard, because uh, he also did Les Jardin, Alex Rosner, I think they used voice to theater a lot of the places he was using in those days. Okay. Uh, the voice to theater sound, it's, it right. sounds like the cabinets that are hanging and the bottom cabinets... Because even Ralphie D at Odyssey 2001 had the voice in theater. His were on the dance floor, but in Manhattan, they hung them. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Manhattan, they hung them. Because Leisure Dan pictures I saw with Bobby DJ, you could see the speed. It's, it's that voice in theater, those cabinets. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and it was nice. I mean, you know, I mean, it's funny because uh, thorns are not easy to work with. Oh, really? <laughs> Tell everybody what the experience is like playing all night on Thorin's TD-125 Mark II. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the, the funny thing is that we used to we used to bang or what some DJs call slip cue. Slip, right. Slip cue. You know, and it, was, it wasn't easy with Thorin's. You had to know how to raise it at the right level and just drop it. You know, I used to bring it up like just a bit, like underneath, just enough to my thumb to get a little bit under it, just to not stop it from, you know, and still let the turntable spin underneath. And then you got to drop it, and it's still sometimes you're going to hear that before it picks up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, it worked. It worked back then. It worked. We were fine with it. And, and talking about that, before, before I even, once once I left, um, 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 how do you call it, uh, uh, El Central, we started going to New York when me and Butchie start, first got together, and we would go to Hollywood. And Richie Kayser was the DJ at Hollywood. And that's who, that's where I really learned how to, the slip cue and everything. Now explain Richie. Now see, now this is where people don't understand Richie K's or Studio Richie, but this is the Richie that everybody talks about. Hollywoods, right? Exactly. What was he like there? Because I know you guys were all there soaking him in. It, it was he was he did slip cue basically. He just did bangs. That's it. But he was on the money. I mean, Richie was like you know him to me. Him and Flamingo Joe, which was a Jersey guy, were the best bangers. Or the best, you know, slip cures at that time. I mean, they were like bang on the money, bang bang, and it would be right on time every beat. And I, that's how that's how I I learned felts about felts because it was Richie Case. I went to the DJ I was like, oh, I gotta see what's going on. And now, said, yeah, this is felts. And mind you, they had the mixer because they had the turntable and the mixer floating. They had it on the chains, so the whole yes, <laughs> like that, you know, back and forth, like you can push it like a swing, yeah, right? Exactly. A swing, yeah. Exactly. They had the whole thing set up like that. Ave Maria. So they would tell me, Bacho, everybody said the same thing. Richie be so high and the thing would be swinging like a swing, but yet he would drop it and it would just be like magic. You go, no, no. That's it. Snapshot mixing. Right there. It's like. Yeah, there was there was some amazing guys, those two guys to me. I slipped you. I learned from them, strictly from them. Um, and then um, um, the mixing, actual mixing, once once it got into the mix, happened because I, I was in the uh, in uh, George Rodriguez record pool. We had the Garden State record pool. Oh, yes, yes, have, Garden State. Yes, George Rodriguez. Wow. Yep. We used to have um, um, parties, you know, like once every couple of months we would have, you know, pool parties, basically. And one, one time we decided to have it at Brothers 3, which was in Jersey. And the DJ there was uh, Joey C., Joey Colgero. Frankie G and Mike McKnight. So whenever we had those kind of meetings in those clubs, those DJs, you know, whoever the DJ was, was providing the music pretty much. So they had their music in the background as we had our, our meetings first. 
playing and they had two minute mixes of just, just writing two records together, just writing that thing. And it's like, I'm beat. It's like, and I was like, what the? <laughs> so I had to go back to school and learn how to start mixing that way. You know what I mean? There's those long mixes. The long overlays, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I learned that from those guys. Those guys were so, about that. When you talk about going to say record pool. Yeah. What year was that about? Do you remember? Um, well, it was early. I would play late 70s. Because um, I was wondering, because I said 99 Prince Street happened already. Yeah, 99 yeah. Prince Street record pool happened. And I know that they did the initial the initial meetings that were done in Hollywoods. Because I asked Tony Gio that, and he right, told right. me that as well. They did it at Hollywoods in Mancuso. That's right, what the initial right, ones right. were. Well, the thing about Mancuso and, and for the record, I mean, his record pool was we tried to join but they wouldn't let us. Why? What did they say to you? Why? We didn't, the, we didn't play in the club. You know, we were like mobile jocks. So they were like, no, sorry. No. Couldn't do it. Sorry, so, can't do it. So <laughs> eventually, before that, there was actually another pool started because, because of the fact that a lot of people could not join um, um, uh, Mancuso's. Uh, I forgot the guy's name, but he started Garden State Record Pool in New Jersey. I'm, I'm sorry, call it NJADD, it was called. New oh, Jersey, right, New Jersey. Discotech. DJs, just hey, exactly. And right. yeah, yeah. We were able to join that one. That one we joined, and we used to go. I think it was to Asbury Park and get music. You know, once a month we would just go down there and grab our music. Damn! Wow. And then after that, you know, I joined George's Record Pool, uh, of course. Um, but I mean, those those were my teachers. You know, between between uh, Richie, uh, Richie, uh, uh, I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, Richie Kayser. Uh, Tom Sabarisi. Oh, Tom's another great mixer. Yeah, Tom Sabarisi. Yes. Exactly. Um, Joey C, Frankie G, and Mike McKnight. Those were the maestros. Those were now, the mind you, everyone, listen to me carefully. Get your pen and paper out. When we talk about Tom Sabarisi, he's talking about 12 West as well. Mm -hmm. It's all pre-Paradise Garage. This garage not open yet. It's all pre of it. He's talking way before Garage began. He's talking like this is... That's that's the kind of teachers. Tom Savarese was the number one DJ in New York at that time. Number one. Yeah. And he won he won the Billboard Award, you know, for New York. That's right. Yeah. I saw that Billboard because he used to have that Billboard Award wherever he went to play with his side. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Exactly. But you know he won it, right? I won that award, bitch. You know. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> you know, it's funny because the last time they held those was in 1980. That's the last time they held them. And I won it for Jersey. Right. Yes, congratulations. Yes. Wanted for New York. And it was between Larry and T. Scott for New York. And Larry won out that one. Yep. I remember. Good old Tyrone Scott. He was that Tyrone. T. Scott. Oh my God. Great great guy. Anyway, back to now your timeline. So you're okay. This is the question I have for you. Bro, when you first heard that long overlay mix, what the hell did you do? You must have jumped up with. What the hell are you doing, right? Come on. Yeah, I was like, wow. I said, what is this going on here? Yeah, I was like, wow, these guys can play. I mean, they're holding that for a long time, you know? And they were, I mean, they were on the money. It was, you know, these, <laughs> these are turntable records that are live drummers. You know what I mean? It wasn't like now, all drum machine. No, these are live drummers. And these guys are riding it like, you know, smooth. No sync button. Yep. No sync button. None of that. Exactly. That's right. Back to square. Yeah, I, got, I, I got so good at it. I mean, now you heard the story from Camacho. I got so good at it that I, when I was at Docs, 
I would do the long mixes, mind you. This is what I would do. I'll put the two records on. I would do the long mixes. And I knew my records so well in and out. I would go to the pinball machine, let the records mix in, go play pinball, right? And then I'd be playing. And then when I hear that it may drop down, it's going to like sort of like make, might end up dragging. I would tell them to hold my ball, you know, hold my pin here. Go back. Go back to the DJ booth. Yes. I'm getting back and lined up and go back and do that. And I used to do that all the time. Camacho was like, how can you do that? Camacho's screaming me, yo, you never heard nobody do that shit. Like Hippie. <laughs> hippie was unbelievable, man. You don't know. Yo, man, he killed it. I could hear him saying it, screaming at us in New York. Bro, Hippie was the only one I knew that did that shit. Nobody else do that. I went, I know. That's and that's a true story, everybody. <laughs> Hippie was known synonymous amongst the Jersey cats. That don't you ever talk about Hippie, man? Hippie, <laughs> just like that. I'm like, so because we had our favorites in New York, we we're like, "Yo, man, T. Scott, no, nah, man, you never heard anybody hold that record. We can't go to the toilet, come back, record still locking." <laughs> yeah, it was funny. It was funny. And it's, it, it's funny because when I heard those guys, like you said, uh, uh, all my teachers and stuff, I wanted to create my own style. So what we had that we didn't have at the time was we got our uh, crossover mixer. So what happened was when we got the crossover, you know, the bass, treble, uh, mids, and the treble. You mean the actually, you mean the crossover? You mean the, the crossover? crossover? Yeah, exactly. The RLA. Crossover. Yeah, exactly. Three-way. Correct. Three-way. Three-way crossover. Because I'm saying crossover mixer, I'm like, no, not that time. No, 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 no. It would just be the crossover. That's what I mean. But remember, you you know, you're playing with the button, so it's sort of like you're mixing the song live. You know what I mean? You drop off the bass, that kind of stuff. That's what I meant. So um, when we first got that, the first time I heard those play that that I saw the crossover and saw it was at at Starship Discovery. And it was um, Rosner that did the sound of Starship Discovery. So when we when we first opened, we were there, and I looked at the DJ booth, which was in the middle of the dance floor, sort of in bubbles. It was surrounded yeah. by glass bubbles, um, and the DJ is like suddenly drops out the bass and stuff, and I'm like, "What's going on here?" And it's just the uh, you know the highs and the mids playing, and then he brings on the bass, boom, you know, and and I was like, "Oh my god, this is unbelievable!" So when when I first saw those, I said, "You know what? I can create a new style of mixing with that." So what I did was when we got our first crossover and we opened the club, all I did was experiment mixing with just just the bass. So I would take out the highs and the mids, and all you hear is boom, boom, boom. And I'm mixing another record underneath that. And then by the time I finished the mix, I'll bring in the mids and the highs. The audience was like, oh, my God, it's over with. You know what I mean? And I would do it with the highs. I would do it with the, the bottoms. And then that became Jersey style. Like every jock in Jersey was doing that. You know what I mean? And that's when, when Camacho and Naeem first started DJing. That was their style. They would do crossover mixing. You know what I mean? And that's what brought them attention. So it really, technically, let's say technically, what they were doing was soaking you in, watching and watching the dance floor, and then going home or going to their spots and emulating parts of what you're doing and implementing them into their sound. Exactly. Now, in New York, at the same time, Nikki Siano was doing that at Gallery. Because yeah, he I heard this, he was doing it. He was crazy with the crossover, working because Alex put that crossover in that club. Right, exactly. Club. But but there was a difference because Naeem used to go to both. So right, Naeem was both. Yeah, Naeem would go to Naeem gallery. Would right. go to the gallery and he would go to mines. So that's why I asked him because I knew that he would go to the gallery. So I'm like, Naeem, is anybody doing this? Like, 
just doing the bass mixes because nobody's doing it. He said people play with the crossover just like they did at the Starship Discovery, but they don't do a mix with just the tweeters. Now, it's just at, the bass. At Starship, was that Joey Bonifiglia? Who was playing there at that time? I'm not sure. I, I don't remember the name of the DJ that was there at the time. You know what? I was just into the sound system. It was so amazing. I was like, yeah, I heard everybody said to me, and the booth was out, out, out of control. Oh, yeah, it was. The booth was out of control in that club. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Now, I don't know. Maybe people, like you said, maybe they were doing in New York. But from what I heard from Naeem and them and stuff, they said they weren't. he wasn't doing that. Joey Palmitarian. Working a crossover, you know, just like, you know, Larry works a crossover. But Larry would never just do a mix with just the tweeters or just the bass. You know what I no, mean? No, he would he would do the mix, do the transition, yeah. and then he would work the the record crossover. Exactly, he would work. You're doing it while you're actually in transition, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My my reason why I did it the way I did was because magic was my hobby. So in magic, you're always looking for that surprise element, basically. Oh, really? Much. Yeah, I mean, magic was. My I hobby. didn't know that. I didn't know you were a magician. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you go watch my first video, you're going to miss me. You're going to see me do a card trick right in the middle of it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I remember. I thought that was part of the show. I didn't think that was anything about magic, to be honest. So, so um, you know, and I always like to keep secrets because that's part of, you know, as a magician, you're, you're taught never to give away the secret. You know, so to me, it was my way of surprising the audience. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, I'm going to do just the bass and bring the other bass. In. And I would match them up pretty good. And they don't know what's going on. They're just hearing the boom, boom, boom. But once I brought that crossover up, you know, with the mid and the highs and the other song is already on, they would just blow up. You know, they were like, oh, my God, they were ready for it. So that created that style for me. You know, like I said, um, that's what I try to do different from everybody else doing this stuff in New York. Um, but like you say, what I was doing with Naeem and Camacho was what Nikki was doing with Larry and Frankie. Because they used to hang out and watch Nikki Ciano. That's so right. He was their teacher. He's the one that taught them. You know what I mean? The same thing. Same exact thing. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. I mean, I look, I, I know for a fact how smooth this man plays. Many nights I heard him play, so I can't I can't say it's not true. Yeah. Very true. Smooth. Yeah. Real smooth. Was never, I don't remember feeling like that double beating was ever happening in your set. Right. Just, you would seamlessly just do your, you know, long night play through one record to another. But it's incredible. Like, it's, it's funny because, because of all the different styles that came up, you're always, I'm always looking for that different thing to bring into it. You know what I mean? And the element now is, you know, more than anything is that, you know, the, the, the Native Instruments remix. And like I told you now, uh, DJ Pro has got using Deezer. Deezer created a software where it allows you to separate the vocal and acapella. Bless you. Which is what I wanted to do with um um uh with my program for phonics was basically separate the vocals from the music and then like that you can use it. Um so a lot of people are using that. And I think that's the next step is you know, it hasn't really caught on yet as much, but I think working in the middle of the mix and having being able to just drop it to, down to the just the a cappella, mind you, and because now everything is synced up, now you just drop it to just the a cappella and you got the other track playing underneath. They're queued up perfectly, they should be in sync. Like, like they were made together pretty much. You know what I mean? And that's the next step. You know, it does. You don't have to use the sync button at all. It's just the fact that everything now is made with, you know, with, with you know, synchronization already built into the songs. So you should be able to mix smoothly, you know, pretty much any song, you know, in any kind of way. 
I think that's the next step. I don't know what's going to happen after that, but right now I think that's a next evolution to our to what we do, basically. Right, right, right. Can somebody asking them repeat the name of the software again that you said? They said, "What's the name of the software?" Um, well, um, Native Instruments has Remix. They have a thing called Remix, and what it allows you can actually download the uh, the, the software, and it allows you to put a song, in, uh, uh, have a song that you produced. And you can put the acapellas and the uh, instrumental together, and it'll create one track with both of those in there playing as though it's a song. But you can intermix with their controllers separated. You can take down the instruments and just have the vocals playing, or you can take down the vocal and just have the instrumental playing. Um, and now Deezer created a software where they allow you to separate regular records, stereo records. You don't have to pre-make it with uh, acapella and instrumental. It's a regular song. It could be any song you have. And basically what it does, it separates the acapella and then some other instruments. They do like four instruments, bass, drums, uh, keyboards, and uh, other, they call it. So they got pretty much those five. They separate it for you. It's not as good as the ones that separate that come in separate originally, but it's workable. You can use it. And with some songs, it's really good. If you get the right songs, it's mm-hmm. nice and clean. Um, but that's the next That's the next level. And, and these are doing it using it dj pro which is a software is using the deezer software you know because Deezer provided that for free for anyone to put into their software so a bunch of companies are probably going to start using it. i wouldn't be surprised if you know serato starts using it and everybody else because they put it up yeah that's all you need that's all you need for it to catch on and then everybody jumps on the bandwagon exactly, exactly. let's just let me just say this to everybody i just want to compliment our man here see how a first generation dj is so hip that's why it's called hippie. <laughs> On that note, hippie, take a moment. Let me just say a couple of things because I always do this around 30, 30 minutes into, into our, our thing and then we go on. 